Hello, everyone, and welcome to Headwise, the weekly video cast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel. I'm the founder of Migraine Nation, and I have a history of chronic and daily migraine that began at the age of four. I am super excited and honored because I am here with Dr. Dawn Buse, who everyone knows and loves. She is a clinical professor of neurology and a psychologist who specializes in headache. She is so well known and respected and is a researcher and clinician in our community. And I get excited every time we have the chance to record together. Hello, Dr. Buse, how are you doing today? Hi, Lindsay. I am always excited when we get to record together as well. And hello to everyone listening today. All right, well, we have a super exciting topic today and it's on brand new data. So. For those of you who uh, listen to us for the fact that we often have up and coming information, you're gonna like this episode. This is new data related to the cognitive impact of living with migraine. One example is something that many people refer to as brain fog. Um, so we're gonna talk about two brand new studies. One which was just presented at the American Headache, Headache excuse me, Society meeting last month and the other, which was just published a couple months ago in the scientific journal Headache. Um, Dr. Buse and her colleagues have been studying the cognitive effects of migraine on two separate research studies, and we're going to talk about what they found. One is the Migraine Clinical Outcomes Assessment System, or MICOA study, which is sponsored by the FDA, and the other is the Chronic Migraine Epidemiology and Outcome Study, or CAMEO study, which is an international study and is sponsored by AbbVie. Now, they're both on this topic that we want to hear so much about. I think so many of us experience cognitive, cognitive effects with our migraine, experience brain fog, uh, but yet we never had a ton of data to talk about it, and I've always wanted to have data that we could talk about. Uh, we really want to understand more about cognitive impairment and its relation to our migraine and headache disease. So Dr. Buse, we're so excited to have you back. Can you please remind our audience a bit about who you are and why you're so motivated to work in the migraine and headache space? Well, thank you in your kind introduction, Lindsay. I think you kind of uh, set me up very nicely. I am in fact a researcher in a department of neurology, Albert Einstein College of Medicine. I'm also a psychologist. And that gives me two really special perspectives. I get to talk to people one-on-one -on -one, or sometimes as couples or families in my office in a therapy mm -hmm. setting and hear stories of life with migraine, navigating migraine, the challenges and strategies for navigating migraine in a one-on-one -on -one setting. And then also in our large scale epidemiology studies, I get to hear data from 60,000 people responding at the same time. And one thing that's always very interesting to me is how much alignment there are between the individual stories and the data we hear from large numbers of people in the US, around the world, and it really is reaffirming. However, we don't always get to share back with people living with migraines. So that's why I think that these podcasts are really important and exciting because you tell us information and then we analyze it and report it in scientific journals. But I really want to share it back with you because what happens is it helps people not feel so alone. 
And it mm -hmm. may help reduce some of the stigma when you hear that not only are you not the only one having experiencing symptoms like cognitive um, challenges or brain fog or tip of the tongue problems with finding words or memory issues, right. you are amongst a billion people of whom the majority also have these same symptoms. So that's why I think these podcasts are really exciting. Okay. Well, we're so glad you're here and we're ready to hear about this new data uh, because um, I think we, we don't want to feel alone. And so many of us have experienced these issues. So why is it that you and your colleagues believe that migraine, cognitive impairment, and brain fog are so important? We know it because people living with migraine have told us. It's mm -hmm. that simple. We simply asked what symptoms, what impacts what challenges does someone have due to migraine? And this is what we have been told. And we took that answer and ran with it. Okay. Well, I have to tell you that having a history of daily migraine and chronic pain for my whole life, I can tell you that ever since I was a little kid, truly like a child, I've noticed varying degrees of brain fog and cognitive impairment associated with certain phases of migraine. And I think that one of the most obvious things I noticed is I have a terrible sense of direction. It was very poor. I would have certain days that I, I still do, that I can't focus at all. Uh, I have word finding issues. I had them even before I was taking to Topamax. Um, and I used to slur my words really badly to where it was noticeable to pretty much everyone with certain types of migraine and in certain phases of that migraine. So. This has been very obvious to me forever. And let's just say I was extremely grateful when Google Maps came out and I use it constantly. I joke that I use it to get in the bathroom at night. So I am very dependent on certain things. I've always had to find, use certain skills to make up for this problem in my life. And, and I, that's just what I've always done. So I'm so grateful for this study. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. So let's start with the MyCOA study. Since we did say we are talking about two separate studies, Let's start with the MyCOA study. Can you tell us about it? Sure. So the Migraine Clinical Outcome Assessment System, or MyCOAS, is an mm -hmm. FDA-sponsored grant that has multiple mm -hmm. stages. And our end goal is to develop a patient-centered core set of outcome measures that can be used in testing of migraine treatments. So when mm -hmm. a medication goes through a clinical trial and the FDA looks at it to approve that medication, Mm -hmm. What sorts of things would people living with migraine say they want the medication to help them with? What mm -hmm. kind of outcome would people living with migraine want the medication to test and the FDA to okay. look at? So the okay. FDA really wants to hear from people living with a disease or condition called patient stakeholders, wants to know what's important to them so that mm -hmm. we can know when we say a medication works or doesn't work. Uh, what is it working on? So the MyCOA system, we started with qualitative interviews with people living with migraine. Qualitative mm -hmm. means that it is an open-ended question. We ask a question, we take the respondent's words, we write them down exactly, as opposed to quantitative right. means you fill out a checklist or a questionnaire or a form. So we did qualitative right. interviews with 40 people living with migraine. And uh, we asked all sorts of things, including learning about symptoms, learning about the roles that these symptoms play in people's lives and the impacts from the perspective mm -hmm. of the person living with migraine. 
The primary investigators on this MyCOAS project are Dr. Richard Lipton, Dr. RJ Wirth, and we have a big team of investigators who have made all these data come to life. I am just the lucky person today that gets to tell you about it, but there's a lot mm -hmm. of hard work that have gone into this project and these studies I wanna tell you about. So to learn what matters to people living with migraine, we conducted qualitative interviews with 40 people, and we very intentionally set out for these respondents to be very representative of people living with migraine in the US. Half mm -hmm. of them had episodic migraine or migraine on fewer than 15 days per month, half had chronic migraine. We gathered respondents who were of all of the racial groups represented in the US, um, Hispanic or non-Hispanic ethnic groups, um, different household incomes, different levels, highest levels of education, and other variables so that we could really get a representative and diverse representation of people living with migraine. Okay. So what did the interviews in the MyCOA study ask about? What were the things that were measured? Quite a few things were measured. And one section was a migraine attack reconstruction exercise where patients were, participants were asked to describe their typical experience during a migraine attack and between attacks. And we used the phrases of migraine attack, pre-headache, headache, and post-headache. Now, as you all know, pre-headache could include a prodromal phase, which could be up to 24 hours before the aura or headache. And then some people with migraine will have aura all the time with attacks. Some will have it some of the time with attacks. We just use the term pre-headache. So it could include the aura if someone had it, the prodrome if, if, if they have that, whatever they experience, headache and post-headache. Um, were there particular phases of migraine where you found people were experiencing more cognitive impairment? Well, yes. So okay. people reported cognitive impairments during all of the phases we studied. That includes those three attack phases, pre-headache, headache, post-headache, post -headache, as well as between attacks. And we call that inter-ictal. So ictal, okay. I-C-T-A-L, is a word that means during an attack, inter-ictal, between attacks. We found that people reported cognitive impairments at all of those time periods. Um, and 90% of people had at least one cognitive impairment pre-headache, 88% during the headache, 68% or about two thirds had cognitive impairment post-headache. And then about one third also reported cognitive impacts between attacks or interictally. Okay. So what sorts of symptoms were these subjects reporting as far as cognitive issues with their, with their migraine attacks? Well, everyone reported in their own words, and then we use this qualitative analytic approach to kind of group them into categories. And the categories that we gathered were language or speech production challenges, sustained attention, executive function, and memory. Okay. Um, some of the language and speech problems could be impairments in receptive language, which is listening, expressive mm -hmm. language, talking, articulation, pronouncing words, certainly that tip of the tongue phenomenon, remembering words. Issued with, issues with sustained attention include things like feeling foggy or fuzzy headed. We heard those words quite a bit. Yeah. Um, 
as well as being confused or disoriented. You talked about um, spatial orientation and finding your mm -hmm. way and using a map, using using an app function with a map. Mm -hmm. um, there can also be challenges with processing information. Imagine you are listening to a lecture and you're trying to take in what someone is saying and reduce capacity for planning or decision-making. And someone even said, my husband will say, what do you want for lunch? And, and I don't know. I don't really know what I want for lunch. Just choose something mm -hmm. for me. So decisions mm -hmm. can be from the biggest, most important life-altering decisions down to kind of those daily, what we might consider minutia, but just kind of challenges with making decisions. Mm -hmm. Issues with memory were reported across the board. Every phase, someone mentioned at least issues with memory um, through all phases of the migraine attack. And a lot of people told us, examples of how these cognitive impacts impact their lives in negative ways. A lot of people talked about bringing up challenges at work or school. Um, people talked about challenges with driving, with caring for children, caring for others, household responsibilities. And I'm sure people listening can think of a thousand more examples. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, it almost, it's so funny uh, having had this my whole life as you talk, I'm thinking, and I bet some other people are too, how much we minimize these things. For example, uh, I just always just call myself, I'm not an auditory learner, but it gets worse uh, during certain migraine phases, I think. And so um, sometimes I will tell uh, people, I'll be like, if you want me to remember that, please write it down or I'll write it down um, because I need to see it to learn it um, sometimes. So, so some of these things you're saying are, are just are, are almost triggering because I've lived with them for so long and I just assume it's part of my personality when really it probably is a, um, a migraine related issue. So it's so interesting to hear you say it. <laughs> you are doing what normally comes to all of us. We take it upon yeah. ourselves. We think we're not smart enough. We don't pay good attention. Yeah. We're not able to do something. And we kind of get a self-stigma, embarrassment right. and guilt around yeah. these symptoms, which are either symptoms of a biologic process, the migraine mm -hmm. process or the headache process, or they can also be due to medications, which is a fancy mm -hmm. word called iatrogenic. They can be medication side effects. They can be that the medication's causing a problem that we don't want. Um, mm -hmm. But none of these are a failing of you as a human mm -hmm. being. And yet that's how we often feel. We feel embarrassed about how we're functioning in the world because mm -hmm. of these. Right. Okay. So... So Dr. Buse, let's go ahead and move on to the findings from the Cameo Eye study. Um, what did what was found in this particular study? Yes, as you mentioned, we just presented a poster at the annual scientific meeting of the American Headache Society from the Cameo Eye study on the cognitive impacts of migraine. The Cameo Eye is a fairly recent study. We don't even have this in a manuscript yet. It's just the poster, which the abstracts usually become, come before the manuscript. So it's fresh data, hot off the press. It's mm -hmm. cross-national. It was conducted in 2021, and it was conducted in Canada, France, Germany, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Mm -hmm. The questionnaires were written, and then they were validated into the language of the home language of the country. And then we did have an opportunity where a local 
headache expert was able to review the questionnaires with patients. So kind of patient stakeholder input again, and patient stakeholder cognitive debriefing. That's what we term that. Give us feedback about the questionnaires, the language, the translation, and we were able to incorporate that feedback into our surveys. So respondents completed this web-based survey, one-time cross-sectional survey, mm -hmm. and it's six questions about the frequency of subjective cognitive impairment during the migraine attacks or severe headache. Across all the countries, we had a total of 14,492 respondents. That is a lot. Okay, so I, I'm very impressed at the fact that it was carried out in, in multiple countries and the high number of participants. So this is exciting that we have this much data on people with migraines. So what, what did you find in the Cameo Eye study? Well, four out of five people, or 81% to be precise, reported at least one type of cognitive impairment during attacks that okay. happens more often than rarely. So that's what we took mm -hmm. as having cognitive impairment. Um, okay. Portion of people reporting particular types of cognitive impairment averaged across all the countries was 74% said they had difficulty concentrating during migraine attacks, 62% had trouble thinking clearly, 58% had difficulty remembering things, about 50% had trouble recalling words, about 40% mm -hmm. reported confusion, and 29%, to your point, reported getting easily lost during migraine right. attacks. Um, so we did mention that there were six different countries in this study, um, and there were differences between people living in the different countries when it came to brain fog and migraine, correct? Did, did was there any speculation about why that might be? Well, why it might be becomes a great, interesting, challenging question. There's probably so many hypotheses. Um, right. It may reflect differences in language or culture. It may reflect that different cultures are more accommodating. People mm -hmm. might feel more or less stigma. Perhaps if you feel less stigma about it, you don't think about it as much or report it as much. People may have strategies, like you have a lot of great strategies, and I'm sure our listeners have a lot of good strategies that they've developed over the years to um, right. comment. Um, and um, use of medication. Different countries right. have different medications available. So there might be different availability of preventive medications, acute medications. There might be different uses of healthy lifestyle habits and non-pharmacologic techniques like behavioral therapies and neurostimulation. Probably so many differences. But let me talk a little bit about the different findings. So okay. if you look at our figures, they're fairly similar. None of them are dramatically, drastically different, but statistically, when we run our analyses, they are statistically significantly different. Um, the proportion of people with the cognitive impairment during attacks was lowest in Japan and highest in the UK. That's if we look at people in the highest quarter of reported subject mm -hmm. subjective impairment, then we would say that about 32% of people in the UK sample were in the highest quarter of impairment okay. compared to about 14% of people in the Japanese sample. Okay. Um, 
People in the United States reported greater cognitive impairment compared with all other countries except the UK. The UK had the highest level of cognitive impairment. The United States was, was second. Okay. And uh, to my understanding, this study didn't necessarily look at the medications that the people in different countries were taking to see if that was a factor or did, did they? This abstract does not have that analysis. Okay. When this forward into a manuscript, we may look at additional variables and we have okay. so much interesting data, so much to look at. It will be hard to figure out what, what we should look at, but that wasn't a piece of this, this abstract analysis, this first pass that we're reporting here. Okay. All right. I'm really that, um, that the, 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 the two highest complaints were difficulty concentrating and trouble thinking clearly. And that was for all of the countries. Okay. So I personally believe that cognitive impairment and brain fog is a migraine symptom that we purposely minimize uh, both to ourselves and to other people so that we can function in the world, do our jobs, take care of our families, get where we're going and not feel all that weird. Um, do you feel that brain fog puts us at worse risk of migraine stigma? We have talked about stigma a lot on this podcast um, than some of the other symptoms that come along with migraine. I think that's a great hypothesis. And in my heart, I'm thinking, yes. Yeah, that is something that we can test because we also collected stigma data in the Cameo oh. study very interesting to see. And we have okay. reported on our stigma data from the Cameo Eye study, where we do have some differences in countries as well, which is really interesting. Um, I think that we feel more stigmatized by things that people can see. So mm -hmm. they can't see our pain, but they can realize that we have to leave an event early or that we uh, could not could not do an activity, couldn't be at a party, couldn't give a presentation at work. That right. feels more embarrassing, more stigmatizing. People can see it. People judge us based on that. And the cognitive impairments are quite tied to function. So it makes this invisible disease a little bit visible. And those visible limitations are what people judge and can mm -hmm. be quite stigmatizing. So I agree with you that people do a lot to hide cognitive impairments. They do a lot to accommodate and have some really clever, elegant, smart accommodations. And mm -hmm. I mean, I think you and the billion people living with migraine around the world, including me, should give ourselves a pat on the back for doing mm -hmm. so well and functioning despite this challenge. But that's not mm -hmm. always the way that we judge ourselves. We tend to be mm -hmm. our harshest critics. And um, that internal stigma, feeling embarrassed, guilty, really rises up with some of these symptoms that are obvious to others and that impair our ability to function. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it occurred to me as we were talking that I do think we probably hide this particular one more than the other symptoms and that we may even almost be in denial about it ourselves because I was realizing some of the things you were saying, I think I had been in denial about with myself for forever. So, so it's very, it's very interesting. So, so I'm glad we chatted about that.
So what advice do you have for people out there who are experiencing brain fog, cognitive impairment is one of their migraine symptoms, but they just don't know what to do about it or they, they want to do more about it. They, they think it's really affecting them and they want to do more. First off, remember that these cognitive effects of migraine are common and they have a big ability on your, a big impact on your ability to function. This is completely mm -hmm. logical and this is in no way due to any personal failing or weakness or shortcoming. This is either a biologic process or could be due to a side effect of medication. So right. a good place to start, of course, is talking to your doctor or healthcare professional about these symptoms and impacts. These symptoms are not always asked about in clinical encounters. They have not traditionally been asked about in FDA clinical trials. That's one thing that, that mm -hmm. the FDA sponsored this grant for us to start thinking about how to make FDA clinical trials more relevant to really match the lived experience of people with migraine. So you may need to bring it to your doctor. She or he may not ask about spontaneously. Tell them what you're right. experiencing. They may think about starting or modifying a medication treatment, a non-medication treatment with the goal of reducing or modifying or eliminating attacks. So as you would reduce migraine attacks, kind of calming down the activation of the nervous system, and that's going mm -hmm. to reduce the cognitive symptoms. Or they may think about your medication regimen just to make sure there's nothing in there that is causing this side effect of cognitive impairment. Um, you may also want and need to talk to either your employer, be it the health, the HR department or your boss, sometimes colleagues, if you're feeling comfortable with that, or if you're in school, if you're working, if you're in school, you may need to talk to school administrators or an office of accommodations um, mm -hmm. about accommodations. There are so many accommodations that can be made to help you succeed and many of these are already available in both schools and the workplace. And if they're not available, they should be made available. You have legal rights to these accommodations as part mm -hmm. of the American Disabilities Act. But I want to remind you, please don't be shy. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel guilty. These are just accommodations to help you succeed. And you deserve them. You need them. Please don't feel shy to ask about them. Mm -hmm. If for some that you ever encounter resistance, ask your healthcare professional to write a medical letter of necessity for any accommodations you need. You can take that to work or school. That should carry a lot of weight with it. I'd be, I'd be right. surprised if someone did not respond to that. They really should. And there's a lot of accommodations that can really help with the cognitive impairments, challenges, and symptoms. When you think about school, let's think about a maybe a high school or a college university setting. There may be um, accommodations like being able to record lectures, being able to use a, a computer to take notes or being able to um, access recorded versions, extra help, extra tutoring time, extra time for tests. Um, right. If you have attack during a, an important test or exam or project that might be able to be uh, delayed or given more time. Um, mm -hmm. I find the key in accommodations at work or school are discussing it before an attack actually creates a problem mm -hmm. so that you already have the paperwork or the agreements in place. Right. Uh, before. 
lot easier. So don't be shy. You know, right now we're going into summer. People will be going back to school in the fall. This is the time to reach out to the Office of Accommodations on your campus and right. get that ball rolling. Right. But that that is all great advice. Go ahead. Most of all, please don't take this on as a personal failing or shortcoming. It is not. It is not. This is a biologic effect, just like any of the other symptoms, just like allodynia or your hair hurting, just mm -hmm. like any other symptom of migraine, the migraine symptom, this is not a failing or shortcoming and you deserve the accommodation. So that's what I really want to remind everyone listening, please. Um. Thank you so much for that. And um, Dr. Buse, was there anything else you wanted to add today before we go? Yes. Well, I know listeners are interested in learning about the latest science or learning about right. what research is already out there. And I always like to let people know or remind them, you can read abstracts of any of the scientific studies on your own for free on a website called PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. So if you'd mm -hmm. like to read the abstracts from either of the studies I mentioned today, you can go right onto PubMed yourself. And for the Cognition Mycoa study, the first author is Gerstein, G-E-R-S-T-E-I-N, Maya Gerstein. So if you write in Gerstein Mycoas, M-I-C-O-A-S, and Cognition, that should pop up and you can read the abstract. All the abstracts on the American Headache Society meeting, which just happened, the annual scientific meeting, are actually printed in the Headache Journal every year. And you can access those online as well. And the first author of our Cameo Eye Cognitive Abstract is Dr. Richard Lipton, L-I-P-T-O-N, Lipton like the T. And you might choose a topic that's interesting to you and just go on to PubMed and just search, whether it's cognition or any other aspect of life with migraine or another disease state, you might be really interested to read the research that's happening directly for yourself. So that's always something to keep in mind. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Buse. And thank you everyone for joining us for this week's episode of Headwise. Please join us again next week for the weekly video cast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.